to Turbin. Turbin's in for the touchdown. Have fun, play with some heart, play with passion. Turbin is in. He gets the call. On second down and goal, pushes it through, and the Colts have scored a touchdown. What's up, everybody? It's your boy, RT. Welcome to another episode of Turbo Talk. Bridget Case, my co-host, is here, of course. Got a special guest on the show, Michael Bennett. Mike B, what's good, big dog? What's good, man? I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying being here. So happy to be on the podcast, having a conversation, a real conversation, too, because a lot of conversations seem like they be kind of fake these days. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, we got a we got a lot to talk about. I mean, we've had some pretty incredible guests. What people love about the show, the feedback that we get from our guests, really, that have been on the show, is is that it's just how just how real and raw it is. We just we just chop it up just on some just on some real shit. So it's really enjoyable. It's fun. A lot of times, I'll have like some little trivia questions or something like that. Uh, as a as a part of the show, maybe we'll get into that if we got some time. But um, but for the most part, man, it's it's cool. It's cool. Uh, recently retired, two time Super Bowl champion. How's it feel, man? How's it feel? How's retirement feeling so far? I know it's only been a week. What uh you know what played into that decision? And you know how's it feel to be chilling at home? I think it's one of those things too, where it's like you play. Um, something for so long and and honestly I just don't feel like I have any regrets I think there's a lot of different things happening right now I think the NFL is dealing with something um, really complex when we talk about uh, looking at the pandemic and how that's going to really play into the game and having older players so you know to be able to walk away from the game and feeling healthy and feeling like you know being at home doing this COVID thing and being home with the wife and just being like you know what man like this has been a great career Anything else, I feel like I'd be kind of being greedy at this moment. You know, like I had my health, I got my family, I accomplished a lot. And so for me, it's just been, um, it's been eye-opening to see the how happy I am and peaceful I am to be at home. You know, wow. a lot of times people retire and they're like, oh, I'm like, nah, I literally have no regrets. Like I did everything you could do in the NFL and I did it at a high level consistently. And I think the thing that I really appreciate myself for in my own, you know, I don't know if you can give yourself a, can you appreciate yourself? But I well, feel like can. I feel totally. like I appreciate myself because I stay true to my character. I think I, that's something that I really respect. I think I stay true to who I was, regardless of the contracts, regardless of the pressure from the outside. I was I was able to stay true to me and be who I am. I think a lot of times we have to compromise ourselves in these situations, yeah. especially being in the NFL, especially being a black man. You have to make compromises in situations in the NFL. I feel like I was able to stay true to me. And and I think I got a lot of respect for that because people know that that's who I am and I stay true to that. And I think there's a lot of people now, we look at back and like taking a knee. We see a lot of people wanting to take a Mm -hmm. knee. We see a lot of people want to talk about racial justice, but nobody really did want to take that risk when it was on the risk wasn't, you know, what wasn't really cared for by the organizations. Not that the organizations are saying it's okay, everybody's doing it, which makes it kind of, you know, just makes it feel different to me. I don't want to say... It's a bad thing. It just makes it feel like, you know, unauthentic in some in some places, you know. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. No, getting back to what you were saying about, you know, the protests and everything like that, obviously, like, 
aside from COVID, you know, that's been a huge, huge thing going on around the world ever since the George Floyd incident. We've had a series of roundtables. Mm-hmm. How many did we do? Five? Yeah, five. We and did. they've all been so dynamic. Yeah, just an open conversation about open. social injustice. What, what, what you feel? I mean, we've had attorneys on the show along Cops. with other, other athletes. We had, we had a police officer on the show who, who really kept it really honest about a lot of things along with some other athletes as well just to share, share perspectives and, and, and really, you know, you know, kind of... Black Lives Matter activists. Kinda, yeah, try to... Yeah, exactly. Try to see things from a different um, vantage point. You know, like, you know, like the cop, he, he talked about mm-hmm. being like a young officer and, and a veteran officer kind of having naturally a little bit more control. And so when you see some, right. some shit that's not right necessarily, you know, do you report that or do you not? You know, it, it's kind of like, you know, my brother's keeper kind of thing. Like, well, I'm not going to snitch on my bro, even though he might have just did some illegal kind of thing. But now that he's a veteran, I think he's in year six. You know, he's he's less afraid to do to do those kinds of things. Um, he talked about cops being controlled by people who are, you know, a little bit uh, higher at the top like your mayors and governors and things like that and so a lot of times their decision making comes from that as well and so you know when you hear things like that like like how how does it make you feel like you know yeah I I agree with you people talk about kneeling now and stuff like that it's it's less of a risk Mm -hmm. right if Kaepernick was doing it now it, it wouldn't be as big of a deal right you and him and 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 Eric Reed were kind of uh, the pioneers of that. Um, you know, how does it feel when you when when you hear stuff like that coming from an officer? I think I think it's one of those things is the barriers that keep us apart from being reaching the potential of humanity. I think we as individuals, it's hard for us to you know imagine somewhere where you know there's a system where humanity matters first. And I think we're living in a time where we can't even we can't even identify the things mm-hmm. that are important to society because. Right now, we focus on going to the moon. We're doing all these different things. And the things that's been woven in America's fabrics since the beginning of this society, that has been race and gender and, this, and, and the socioeconomic poverty that people are dealing with. And those same issues are, are persistent today and they've been perpetuated. So when I hear people say stuff like that, it's kind of disheartening at the moment because it's, just, it's about humanity. I feel like when we look at something from a biblical standpoint, it's almost like we, we are the our control of our own demise. And I think sometimes we don't even realize that we have the power and the strength to do what's right. But within these systems, these systems control us and we forget that these are just systems and things that are in place, but it's really the humanity that brings us back together. Um, I think if you look at some of the greatest philosophers, we always are dealing with the animal side and the moralistic side of ourselves. And I think we tend to we tend to lean more towards the animalistic side and try to really keep ourselves from really reaching the potential of society because in in the moral aspect of it all like it human life should matter the most of anything because at the end of the day humans yeah. are the most important product on this planet well there there are some people out there who believe that we're like animals like that that's we like, are animals you, know, you have your, we're Okay. We are animals with rational, rational, rational skills that we can ration. We can rationale the, the decisions that we make. The difference between us and lions and different between bears is that they have a, we're the only creature on the planet that has a free will to, you know, 
govern and, and make choices. Like lions don't get a chance to choose what college they're going to go to. They just do what they're supposed <laughs> right. to do because that's what they were programmed to do. We're programmed with the really. opportunity to not be violent. We're programmed with the opportunity not to rape. We're programmed with the opportunity to speak peace into each other and to protect mm-hmm. ourselves. But we choose that we choose to be a certain way because we there are people who are those high people up in place who want to keep something, you know, that is unjust in in society. And it's hard, really hard for something that isn't morally acceptable to really be at the forefront of all of our lives. If we look at the, if we look at our the forefathers of America, you know the reason why they le- really left the British one was being taxed without you know representation, but really was civic rights. The looking at the civic rights, the human, the rights to be a human, the freedoms that come with that, freedom of choice of religion, freedom, all these different freedoms. But somewhere along the line, those freedoms that every person of African Americans, some Native Americans fought in the Revolutionary War, but still mm-hmm. in a persistent level, they were suppressed and oppressed and not being able to have those those options. And I think we look at people who, we look at a society that doesn't understand the history of, or of America and what America has been through and everybody thinking they're recreating something, but we still holding on to the same values that aren't really the values that we're supposed to be saying. Because if you look at at the beginning of the um, the Constitution, we are the people, like, that's a strong statement. That mm-hmm. is a more, one of the most powerful statements because it's saying that we are the people. That's the that's a that's an indoctrination of all people's mind to say that we are the people that you know govern this body. And you look at why if you look at monarchies, we look at something. There was no such thing as we are the people. It was the king, and then there was the people. Mm-hmm. But now we look at the reason why we created democracy is because people should be able to have choices. But and we look at how democracy has been ran over time. You know evil has slowly creeped into something that was supposed to be good. Yeah. Your 2018 memoir that you wrote, you're now turning into a TV series. What is it called? Conversation, uncomfortable conversations to have with white people. Did I get it right? How do you word it? Things that make, things that make white people uncomfortable. So I think that it's so interesting that you wrote this down in 2018, a couple years ago when of course, you know, People are aware of um, the racial injustices that we are facing in America, but not really to the point that we're facing today. What do you think is going to be the difference in your creations and the content that you put out there and who's listening today? I think we're dealing with something that Martin Luther King said that back in the day in a lot of his speeches and a lot of his writing is that we've, we've become so numb and we've become in a situation where we've become dishonest with ourselves when we see things that are happening around us and we started to become, you know, blind to it. And now mm-hmm. that the society, so people are saying like, oh, I didn't know this was happening. Yeah, you did, but your conscious, your subconscious was blind to it. Now that we're being, mm-hmm. wait, people are, people's consciousness are being awoken into the trauma that people around them are experiencing, people are seeing the tendency to have a sense of empathy. So I believe the content is going to be more inclusive. And I think if we look at where are we going to be going when the mm-hmm. future? I think there's going to be a whole bunch of different conversations that we got to have because at the end of the day, we're realizing in this world that it doesn't matter what we think about other people because at the end of the day, these are people who cares if somebody loves the same partner that's a different sex, who cares about their religion, who cares if they're, if they're a woman, they should be able to have the same choices, who cares at the end of the day, 
we should be there. People should have those opportunities because they simply are human beings and simply no human owns the right to condemn another human's freedom, nor do they have the opportunity to um, limit their choices and success in a country that's supposed to be built on freedom and a country that's supposed to be built on the moral and the just conversations of, of being free. The reason why those people did what they do. Why do people create, have, why do people have revolutions? These are the reasons why, because the freedom to choose. What makes white people uncomfortable? What are some of the biggest things that you think white people deny? I think white people deny the past. I think a lot of white people deny the past and want people to get over something that was so traumatic. I think white people are really uncomfortable, especially if we talk about from a sports perspective. Mm -hmm. I think white people have been really uncomfortable with athletes of color, people of color having voices about things that are pertaining to their community because in a sense, um, the history of sports goes back to plantations. You know, we look at Mm -hmm. the history of sports and we look at the things that are, that we see now are a progression of the past. So like, you know, sprints and football and huckleball, all these different things that were plantation sports when other plantation owners used to limit their uh, black slaves to other black slaves to have them mm-hmm. play for play for value. And the system that we still live in is that capitalistic mindset. So a lot of times people don't understand the history of why sport has been had racial issues in it. and people think that sport has had any racial context to it since the beginning. But if you look at it, it's always had those things. This is why sport is so important because a lot of times black athletes who were in those plantations lived a different life because of their skills. So a lot of those same principles are still applied to um, the current climate of America and the current climate of sports. So I think a lot of white time, a lot of times white wow. people are, very unaware of the history of it in our uncomfortable when we bring up the history of it. The history is there. It's like, it's as if though we would argue that the 4th of July didn't happen, like when we would say, oh, well, the revolution, but the revolution did happen. This is how it happened. There's a historical presence about it and the historical significance of it is always there. And I think the historical significance of why athletes should have a voice is, is pinned over all kinds of big moments in the history of the world. If we look back at during the World Wars, we look at Jesse Owens and all these people who were sprinters yes. and, and they had a voice. And we look at, you know, we look at the 60s and John Carlos and we look at all these people in Muhammad Ali and those moments were big in, in the big grand scheme of the world. Those athletes had the time to choose between their morality and the sense of having capital. And they always chose their morality because there's always a connection, a sense of connection to who we are as individuals and who we are to our communities. So I think a lot of times white people get uncomfortable with us having those connections to our communities because people see us as not being connected to them because we went to college, we had made money, we had opportunity mm-hmm. to be within their con- confines that we change, mm-hmm. but we don't want to wear masks. We just want to be who we are and be accepted for who we are. Just like you accept our skill, you have to accept our, tal- our talent as individuals and you have to accept our skin. You have to accept our history of what's been through with being black in America. Right. And a lot of professional sports are built on black athletes. I mean, the majority of athletes in many professional sports are African-American. And then you have coaches who are not. What, there's like five guys all that are in what, like two GMs and three head coaches yeah. right now who are black? I mean, d- does that have some sort of impact on the yeah. culture that I, you're talking I, about? I was honestly going to ask the same question. Yeah. Like, I mean, do you Rob, feel like I that want you, translates... you to answer that too. I mean, this is a question well, for well, you as well. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, I was going to ask that same question. And uh, uh, does it translate 
from a historical standpoint and also all the way up the ranks to ownership. Right. Yeah, I think it does. I think if we look back, this is why in my retirement speech I wrote with the New Yorker, I, mm-hmm. I talked about the um, the limits on being African-American outside of being just a positional player, but being in the front office and why yeah. sports lack diversity. I think a lot of times people look at diversity and see it as being on the field, but we don't see it as being in the coaches and being on the GMs and being all those Man. positions who make those decisions. And I think that is a part of the history of sport. I think if we look back at the AFL and the the first owners of the NFL, what they thought and how they, you know, looked at black people and looked at this, looked at them. And I think this coaching and all these different things in sport is built on black capitalism and we cannot deny that. And this is just a hard fact. Like these leagues, except for baseball, maybe, but in a sense, basketball and NFL are built off black capitalism at the highest level. So it's very, it's, it's a too much is it's almost a, it's a full of hypocrisy when you hear these leaks say that black lives matter, because mm-hmm. obviously black lives matter when we look at the sense of how much money black lives make for these leagues. Yeah. Rob, how does that make you feel when you hear that? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I agree. And I, I'm really interested to know, obviously, you know, Mike B being a veteran, being being a, uh, one of my leaders mm-hmm. when we played together and won a title together, uh, you know, where did you get all this knowledge from? Was it was it? Yeah. I mean, obviously, it had to go beyond school. You know, <laughs> you had to dive into some things that inter- interested you a- along the way in your adult life. Is I mean, was it just books that you came across? Is something that you really wanted to dive in yourself to to learn our culture, to learn our history, yeah, to be I'm able so- to share it and help teach. Yeah, because like, you know, for me, I've been an opportunity to meet some of the greatest leaders of, of this century, people who are sacrificed at a high level. And so growing up for me, my uh, I spent a lot of time at NAACP camps, you know, growing up. And that was my summertime. I used to go to historically black colleges a lot. Mm-hmm. And my parents, wow. my parents were, my parents went to historically black college. So we always talked about that, my whole family. So it was a sense of like, you know, we always talked about the issues that were happening. And then along the way. I just started to read more books, read the history, and started to dig deep into it. And at this point, I actually teach at the university. I teach at the University of Hawaii. I did last year. And, oh, um, that's and awesome. So I actually yeah, teach a class and stuff right now. But it's, it's just been a lot of history because there's a lot of history that we don't read. I think mm-hmm. history is like anything. I think if we, we can learn like two plus two and learn the basic math. And everybody learns the basic math. But then there's like the part of the people who become rocket scientists because they took to the time to understand a deeper meaning and a deeper evolution right. of historical moments in our in our lives and how we're connected so in so many different ways. And I think if we study some of the greatest people, the greatest philosophers, we can see that there's a there's a correlation to each one of their stories and then the correlation to people around the world. And that each one of us really we have all these these barriers that we see that are breaking us apart. But we really look at the essence of what is being a human being. Everybody kind of wants the same exact things in their life, you know, they have a quality mm-hmm. water, quality education, and they feel safe, you know, they have the opportunity to know when they send their children out that their children are going to come back home. Yeah, I, I just started way. reading The Way to a Superior Man, yeah. Actually, I just, you know, it, it, it's kind of been my thing. I'm just going to uh, tell you that title bothers me, but... It's misogynistic for sure. Actually, it actually has some really good insight. But I'm sure about, it's not like, really about, about that about women not for yeah. real yeah it's no real. I mean, no i, I just started I, it i'm only yeah. two chapters in but it's like that's a real you know, that's a real to, like don't judge a book by its cover 
Oh yeah, it's like how to how to treat a woman and all this shit. Yeah. Huh? So you got some. It got some controversial th- things on how to treat a woman in there, though. It, oh, I ain't got. I ain't got that far Uh-oh. yet. Am I? Am I gonna? Am I gonna get pissed about this and, and go I'm off on, on, on one of my four. on one of my? <laughs> you, you might. I'm only chapter four. That book on his web. Like, What's that? Like, I got it. I got to get on your level though, Mike B. I'm trying. That's my thing. You know, I told myself, I'm like, man. Yeah, you're so you're you so know. wise. Reading. Oh, man. thank you. Thank no, you. I, yeah. No, seriously. Yeah. Like you, you really, really are. And I think it's incredible. Um, but, but I am curious, like I, I have to ask because you always have so many insightful things to impart on fans or like our, our community as a whole, but there are some people who think like, Oh, this guy's a hothead. What do you, what's your response to that? When it's something you're passionate about. I think people don't realize. I think sometimes people like get us mix, misconstrued with like being something that we really aren't. Like at the, at the core of it all, we're all human beings. And I think sometimes people don't haven't seen us passionate, but sometimes they want us to like segregate ourselves from being a passionate person in the field to being a passionate person off the field. So sometimes mm-hmm. we have these conversations like these. The game sometimes is so real. Like there's so mm-hmm. much emotion into the game, and like sometimes you aren't happy about losing. You aren't happy about how the play was called. You aren't happy about what's going on with the team. And people are expecting to do it in such a way that's, you know, not violent. Not You're to not a robot. Yeah, so it's like you have these emotions, and I think sometimes people forget that you are a human being. And sometimes you are. You do lose your cool like every other person in the world. Mm-hmm. But we're part of this cancel okay. culture where people cancel you so fast and they aren't allow you to be the person and be emotional. Like, as soon as you show a little bit of compassion, you are, you're a threat to – you know, to you, yeah. to the integrity of the game, you're a threat to your team, you're a threat to all especially, these especially if you're black. Yeah, that's we know that that's a fact, you know. There's and I and I also think, uh, I also think appearance might be you can share your opinion on this, but I think appearance is a big thing, like it, it, it it's not, but it is to an outsider the difference between somebody with a haircut or dreadlocks, right? You yeah. know, what I'm saying like. They 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 judge off 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 minute things like that as well. Am I right? Yeah, but look, because we can just go back and case in point. Everybody thought what the coach from the owner of, of the Panthers said to Cam Newton was okay. He told him, "You can't have tattoos. You can't have long hair. You got to cut this. You got to get that." Um, mm. But if we look back, we look back. We have to question. Like what was what was his motives? Now we look back and we really understand what Jerry Richardson was really all about because he left mm-hmm. us a lot of clues. But it goes back to what I said: a lot of us are blind mm-hmm. to what's happening. We were blind to blatantly blind to what he was saying. He expressed a certain amount of racism and a certain amount of rhetoric about why it was important that this guy couldn't have his hair like this because he represented him. And we look back at it, and we look back at it. We had an opportunity as a culture and an opportunity as a league to really address that. And I think what you're saying a lot of times is true. When you're African-American and you say, oh, how you feel, people send, have get threatened by you, getting threatened by who you are and how you speak. Right, 100%. You know, I want to get your feel on all the things that have happened in, in, around the world ever since the George Floyd incident. All of the the protests, everything that everybody's been doing on social media, TV-wise, you've got, uh, you know, things that you can sign, these petitions and things like that. 
do you think we're making progress? Do you think those things are really making a difference for us and our culture uh, in America moving forward? Or is this the apocalypse? A little bit of both. Now, do you want me to be honest? Yes. Yeah, of course. Be, this, is, this is an honesty, like... 1,000%. We, we love and this. I, and I talk to my daughter about this a lot of the times, too, because she's, she's growing up in this culture. Talking about, like, symbolism, and I think sometimes we can get symbols mixed with progression and actually being a part of the movement, right? Because I feel like there's a lot of people doing things that are symbols, and I think symbolism is a part of change, but it can't be the only thing that we're doing. Like, oh, we want to paint the street Black Lives Matter, or we want to do this to say that we care. We want to make a T-shirt. But at the end of the day, it's really about changing the system in a structural way, and I think we are looking for a way to do that, right? And I think um, right mm -hmm. now, you look at the global uprising, you look at you know Indigenous people and people around the world who are dealing with this and having a way. They're like, we don't want symbols, you know? There's certain symbols that have been been needed to be taken away, like the Redskins. That's the thing that needs to be taken mm -hmm. away, and it was. And I think the symbols that are, you know, mm -hmm. oppressive are the ones that we need to get rid of. But I think symbolism we have to be really careful and knowing which organization is really having intent to really make change. And I think sometimes we throw money at it, and we think that money is going to be the ultimate solver for the issue. But really, it's about dignity and having a sense of uh, compassion for our fellow human beings. Okay, 100%. so thinking about the 49ers and then them throwing up the Black Lives Matter flag at Levi's Stadium yeah. and the NFL yeah. saying, yeah, and, and then if and then the NFL saying that they're going to be playing the Black National, Black anthem, National at, anthem at every single uh, home opener. Right. Yeah, here's the thing. I, I mean, I don't know, but a lot, a lot of black athletes that I've talked to didn't even know what that was. No, so I, is that enough I didn't or is know. That a, is that I, a cover? I know the song. I know the song. But didn't know what it stood for. Didn't know what it stood for. I've never heard it be called, labeled as the Black National Anthem. Right. To be, to be, no, for me. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, you got the Niners, like she said, doing the flag, the NBA. Well, Black but here's Lives the Niners. thing. When I hear that, like, I, I don't know. Here's the thing, Mike. You can, you can correct me. But <laughs> see, when I hear something like that, to me, like, does that create segregation or does that like, like, I don't, I don't know. Or is that a prideful thing? I don't know. I think it's one of those things where I think like it becomes symbolism again, because we're really we played a black national anthem. We think that it's taken away from what the conversation really is about because right. once you play the anthem, it's like we give you something and it's like becomes a tug of war between what they're giving you and what and what is really the whole what, what is this really all about i think mm -hmm. it's like giving a baby a pacifier yeah it's like we're, we're still trying to put band-aid on something that's deep and rooted in a spiritual wound that has to be really you know healed at a much deeper level and i think having the black national anthem i don't even know if it's a start i think there's so many other things that we have to do to really get the nfl to really our leagues to really understand about where they can go with with their with their companies and what they can do within the system and the communities that they're supposed to serve. And I think the, the question was never about the, the, the national anthem was, is a, it has been a controversial song, but I think what the controversy really was about was about, we got caught up in another symbol. We got caught up right. in, well, he's not standing for America, but really it was about what was happening to Americans in America. And I think, we as individuals got so caught up in saying, well, this is a, this doesn't represent me. And I think we look at what Mike Dicker said. People respect Mike Dicker. He's 
always in football, but the things that he's saying is just like, it's absurd because it's like, where has he been? What America has he been living in to say that, that in a hundred years, America, had, there's never been any segregation or any oppression. Wow. I honestly didn't even know he said that. For anybody to say that, would, would I, you're just being purposely blind to what's going on around you, for real. I'm getting on Google. If that's how you really feel. Absolutely. Um, yeah, he told no, us to I, get out I, the country. He said, if you want to kneel, you need to get out this country. Mike Dicka? Yeah. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, well. <laughs> I, oh, I'm, I'm getting uh, on this right now. Oh, my. Yeah. Yeah. I got pulled over the other day. Cop pulls me over. Well, before you talk about you getting picked over, you got pulled over. What was the fears in your heart? What was going on in your mind? Did you have a sense of, did you have a, a heightened sense, like a spider sense, but we call it the black yeah, sense? Of course. So thinking yeah. that this could I mean, end in an untimely way? Let me tell you something. I rolled down all my windows. I opened my glove compartment. I opened up the middle console, everything. <sighs> like, look, you can get just, you don't even got to creep up on me. Everything is open. The windows are open. Every, the, the, every, anything that has like a, a any kind of door or whatever, a compartment, it's open. Like, it's open. Don't even trip off me, bro. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But he takes, uh, he takes my registration ID, comes back. He recognizes my name. What was no. the re- wait time out? What was the reason he pulled you over? And did he tell you immediately? Did he tell you why? Yeah, he told me he pulled me over for speed. Okay. So were you, know, you speeding? Were you speeding? I always speed. Oh, okay. Okay. At least you're honest. You know, so. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, his name is, always, his this, name this is this Turbo. Is you know. Yeah. True. You <laughs> just gotta, speed, he's so. got to be on brand. Got to be on brand. Yeah. Yeah. So he pulled me over. He recognized who I am after he went back to the car. And he was a veteran. He was like, man, I'm retiring in, in, in 60 days. And, and he was telling me, like, he was like, there's four types of people that I don't give tickets to. And I'm like, okay. He was like, celebrities, all right, athletes, doctors, and attorneys. And I'm like, okay, cool. <laughs> he, he was like, uh, so, uh, so yeah, you know, you, 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 play, you played in Seattle and everything like that. I'm like, yeah. He was like, well. I hate football. And his face got really serious. I hate football. And I, I, I laughed. I, <laughs> I gave him one of those. Like, yeah, I thought he was, I thought he was bullshit. Yeah. You know, like, Especially because like why, be why would he know who you were if he really hated football? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, uh, like, he's just playing. He's just bullshit. But he was serious, bro. His face never changed. And I, and I had to sit back in my seat and I was like, oh, you're serious. He's like, yeah, I'm serious. He's like, ever since that day, Kaepernick took a knee. And I was at that game. I served in the military for nine years, blah, blah, blah. Became an officer, blah, blah, blah. We get a bad rap. But people don't understand that we're taking orders from who you guys vote in the leadership position, the governors and the mayors, et cetera. And he starts going on this, on this rant about, about all of that. You know what I'm saying? He's like, I remember like it was yesterday. I'm at the game. I'm talking to my, my, my friends about Kaepernick, how great he is. Then he takes that knee and it just changed for me from that day forward. I ain't watch no football. I don't allow my kids to get into football or, or nothing like that, you know? And he was like, that flag, it just means so much to me in a different way because I served and I'm a cop. We get this bad rap. And I wanted to express to him my vantage point. Like, hey, you know what doesn't really have nothing to do with the flag, right? I mean, like, but I just, 
I was just kind of letting him be free, you know, express whatever, whatever it is he wanted to get off his chest, I guess, to me, just because maybe I play football. Man, he's been waiting for that moment. He's yeah. like, one day I'm going to run to the NFL player. <laughs> he had a whole script. He was like, stand there. I got a piece he's of like, I'm stalking him uh, until I can pull him over. Oh, my God. Let's have a conversation. <laughs> it was, it was, it was honestly one of the craziest, like, moments in my life, really. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't expecting that at all. It went, it went totally as, a, a different, a different direction. I wouldn't have been uh, expecting that either. Cause that's uncomfortable and random as talk. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, shit. I, what did you say? I, you what know, did I you told, say? I told him, I just said, well, listen, I understand how you feel. That's a, you know, that's a, you know, that, that, that's one perspective. I, I, I totally understand the part that I really was, that that was really intriguing is when he told me that he, you know, he gets orders from the people you, you vote to be, to sit in those offices. And I'm like, that motherfucker right. He right. He right. Because, you know, to, you know, if we just being 100, like those guys aren't, they're not clean. <laughs> they're not clean. A lot of them aren't clean. You know what I'm saying? Like mm-hmm. they are a part of like, you know, some of the dirty shit that go on. In, in, in our country, whether it's like guns, money, drugs, whatever, you know, you name it, like oppression against black people, like the whole the whole nine. And so I got that perspective for sure. But when he started talking about the flag, you know, I wanted to share my perspective. I just stayed silent. But I invited him to come on the podcast. You did? I was like, shit, you want well hell yeah. That's I was like, you awesome. want to come on the podcast? Come on the podcast. Come, 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 come. Get on live and 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 holler with, with us with some other athletes and share your perspective and everything. But there's always going to be people like that. Is what I is what like when I left when I drove off. I thought to myself. I said, no matter what, the fight that we're in, the difference that we're trying to make, and Mike B. Like I don't know if you agree with this or not, but I just feel like at the end of the day, it's always going to be folks that won't be able to come to the other side for lack of a better word agree yeah no i agree with you there is this sense that there won't be there's people that don't want to come to the other side but i think the whole other side is so it's really complex because people are thinking like oh i want them to come on the black lives matter side or the hispanic side but it's really i just think it's more about people being on the side of humanity being on the side of like seeing that like other human beings are suffering and why aren't we as human beings register in our mind? It's like we've created some type of like a caste system based on yeah. poverty, and based on skin color, based on all these different things that are kind of make us different. But it's like, it's like there, it, the, to me, it just baffles me that there are people out there that would never come onto the side of righteousness because yeah. they think that they're being righteous. But I think inside of everybody's mind, people kind of suffer. Those people could probably suffer from Ego, ego, egotism. They think that their right. struggle is the most important, and they don't sense that there's other people who are experiencing something different. Right, and Mike B, I feel like this too because I felt, um, you know, I've, I've, I've said this on other episodes. I'm like, listen, normally if you if you have a strong dislike for somebody or hate, if, if even if you take it that far, whether it's a, an individual person, a group of people. Normally, that stems from what they have done something so traumatic to you, it it complete it broke your heart, it it whatever 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 
Yeah, it, it scarred you. Exactly. Like, it, it, it's one of those things that is really hard to, to get over. And but, I think about that, like, what, for, for, for people to hate, like, a culture, like, how? <laughs> from what? From what yeah, reason? But it's, it goes back to, you know, this goes so far back into history. It's just like people don't see black people as being human. They see them as subhuman. I think it was either Socrates or Plato who was talking about, like, there are some people that are human. There's some people who are close to being humans. And if you look at the reason why the world was able to, you know, to go into, like, splitting the world, the Catholic Church. But I think if we look back in history and we look at why the Catholic Church and we look at the reason why people were able to do things, it was like people who lived in a sense of absolute divinity where they felt that their way of their way of doing it and their way of being righteous made other people who were human beings really become subhuman because they were above them. And I think we're still suffering from that kind of mindset in the world where we don't see people as being equal. Like you think about even women, like if we look at it from a woman's perspective of being a woman, like like there's places in the world where women can't drive, like because they're simply seen as secondary to men or being but there's like this mm-hmm. there's like so many levels to why we can really make somebody feel subhuman in, in different places in the world. And I think we we still suffering from that. And I think there's a lot of people who are privileged to be in the part of the people who can see people as being subhuman and they won't let that go. Yeah, it's crazy. That's crazy. <laughs> well, let's, let's, um, and I know bridge, I know that's, that's, a, that's certainly a heavy topic for you as it pertains to women and, uh, women's and rights and everything. Women like that. You, and I'm Catholic. So I could get, go on all that stuff forever. So I'm, right. I'm super passionate. <laughs> right. But it. Bridget Max, you know, because even like, I just want to ask you, I never, what do you think about when Kobe died? Like, I felt like there was a lot of people in sports, like just like how they're doing for Black Lives Matter when Kobe mm-hmm. died, his daughter died. There was a lot of people like focusing and they did it in a way that almost feels like symbolism still because there was no I, really I no. Didn't, I didn't, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Because like everybody's like, oh, girl, dad, this dad, girl, dad. And it was yep. like, like for a month, there was like women really mattered in sports, right? And then after that, it just went away. It just kind of just kind of just disappeared. It, it was like, me yeah, it, it's funny. Actually, there was a tweet by the Phoenix Suns just recently, just yesterday, maybe the day before. Uh, uh, there was a guy on Twitter. His uh, his handle is, is is named after Kobe, and I think it was the WNBA. It, it, it tweeted out WNBA season starting. You know, that opening day, right? Get excited! And this guy he tweeted back and he said, "Nobody cares," basically, and the Phoenix Suns responded like well if you're a fan of kobe like your handle and all of your and they did research on his all his posts and things like that and everything that you post about kobe you would know that kobe cared about the WNBA. so why are you saying that so perhaps you have a great point right there yeah and that's what i'm saying i think that's the thing that we kind of worry about is when you see like things becoming social on like instagram and twitter and tiktok you see like the trends of it because those things are trendy things. We put Instagram as something that's instant and it goes away. Then you see the next picture. So people have to constantly keep putting stuff up on them. And after mm-hmm. a while, they're probably like, well, I'm tired of posting this. And then all of a sudden that changes to something else and it just becomes about a new movement. And the next thing that the people are going to be, the next challenge and the next thing. So it's just like, there's a sense of like compassion that we kind of lose and a sense of like, you know. And so for me, it just, 
I just wonder what are, I hope we don't get caught up in symbolism when it comes to Black Lives Matter. You're just totally like we right. Get, yeah. get right. caught up in symbolism right. when it comes to women's rights movement because right. these right. things are important. And I think we as individuals and we as a society, we as a collective, like we have to do our part in our own homes. Like if you have a daughter and you're saying that you love women and doing all these different things, but then you, you dog, you, you don't even spend, there's so many different ways that like, we think that we're doing something socially, but what are we doing really in our own, you know, bubble? And I think we realize the essentialism, the essential part of our lives and the part of our families that need to be um, highlighted. And I think women's rights, Black Lives Matter, and all these things that are happening in this country still need to continue to be highlighted until they're changed. And that's why I think symbolism gets us in trouble sometimes because we feed the need of our ego to feel like we're contributing, but we don't really do any work. It's like having a garden and paying a garden person. Yeah, it's so nice when the fruit comes, but the person who really does the work, you know, don't really get the highlight. And I think this is important that we have to continuously build our, our foundations on something that's really stable. But I think symbolism isn't as stable. It should be somewhere on the top of the house. It should be the shingles, but it shouldn't be the foundation or the concrete that holds up our integrity and holds up our dignity as a culture and holds our dignity as a society. Yeah, it, it should it 100%. should be the invitation. It should be what brings people in to do the work and to take action, not what you think is the actual action. That's what frustrates me. And like a hashtag doesn't do anything. Like, mm-hmm. sure, yeah, I guess technically it does sharing, but it brings a little bit of warrant of awareness. Yes, yeah, exactly. Bit, yeah. But I mean, but in the big scheme of things, like, what are you actually doing? How are you right. taking action? Right. Right. And Absolutely. it doesn't, it, it doesn't and, always take money. Like people always say to me whenever yeah. I share something like, well, I don't have money. And I'm like, who cares? That doesn't matter. You don't have to have money. Mm-hmm. That's a cop out. I think, think sometimes totally. we, I actually think that money is actually, is a, in a potentially an issue, right? Because mm-hmm. if we look at it from a perspective, it's like, yeah, we think that the only way we can help is money because we live in this material, materialistic world. And like money is the only way that we can show good faith. And I think, money we look at all the things we're like oh we're relieved just throw money at it and it's like somewhere along the line the money always gets swindled or always get pushed around but it's the physical connection to other people that allows those things to grow so it's like you're saying like you don't need the money you can go volunteer or march or go to the government write an email do something else that doesn't require money and i think sometimes when we say money is the is the the way to help it's like we all are looking at ourselves and kind of really limiting ourselves to really having a sense of uh sense of like really contributing in a, in a way that's really hardcore and really that can really change um, the where we live in it. Absolutely. Well said. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, listen, it, it, I, I, you know, on a positive note, it is good to see like NBA for, for whatever reason, seemingly have always kind of been the, the, the leader as it pertains to sports organizations uh, when they do like the NBA on TNT, they've got the the young lady permanently on there now. I can't think of her name. Um, you mean on the desk? Was... You're not talking about Candace Parker, right? No, no, no. On the desk, Candace. I know Candace yeah. comes as a, as a visitor, but I'm talking about on the desk. She oh, did she... college oh, yeah, football. There's, there's another lady. Yeah, I forget her name. Though. Yeah, she does. She does NCAA football and basketball really a lot. Um, but you know, you see that you saw the San Francisco Giants had a female first baseman coach. Uh, in their in their game, uh, I don't know if you guys saw that over the last week. So mm-hmm. I mean, it's just yeah. it's just you know, listen. I, I know those just a couple of examples, but we can keep making strides like that 
But Perhaps. I think it's funny. I think it's funny because it's women have always been invited, inviting men into their sport, right? And we look at like mm-hmm. basketball coaches, this or or have they? I'm not oh, sure yes. if they really have, or has it just been a structural way that I don't know where the connection is or how the relationship started, but over there. There's a lot of men, p- p- professional coaches or collegiate coaches, and some of the in, in in women's sports, and yeah. you don't see a lot of that in male sports. And I just I always no. wonder, like, how did that happen? How did men take over women's sports in a sense right. of still having power and control over who plays and right. who doesn't play? Yep. I it's find weird. I always find that and, fascinating because I don't understand how did that happen. Like, men have never I, invited women in that way. Like, we see. A man, a woman coming into a men's league, we're like, oh my god, this is a thing. But it's like it's unprecedented. But in women's sport, it's not because you don't even notice. Yeah, because we've always, always been a little bit awkward. I'm like, does he? Has that dude even ever played volleyball? You know, I look at it like you know, like I'm. I'm just well, wondering. Well, no, like, usually, okay, no, not not usually. A lot of times, it, they have. It's not that. It's just. I hope. I can't say the same thing about NFL coaches. True. Half of them motherfuckers ain't play football, but they coach it. Never yeah, that's, know. I yeah, was, that's I always true. I thought it was weird. I'm like, hey. yeah, but I mean, like, oh God, where does he play? Like, but like, look at Gina Ariama. Like, he's one of the most successful women's basketball coaches of all time. For sure. People respect him, you know? Can't, yeah. Oh, yeah. Can't doubt it. So, but so it's like, I, I feel both ways. Yeah. But that's what I'm saying though. He's the most 100%. respected, he's the most respected women's basketball coach, but we can never say that. Well, we besides like, him. but like, see, like other, I don't, I think like he's close to like Pat Summit though. Like he's yeah, behind, that's you know? What I'm saying, bro. That's what I'm saying she, though. But like we look at women, men's, but we'll never, we have never said like, oh, she's the most well-respected right, absolutely. woman in the male dominated yep. sport. But it's just, I just find it. I don't know. It's just I don't know. I don't know. It's weird. I don't know, no, I 100 percent well, agree with you. 100 percent. Well, speaking speaking of sports, obviously this year has been such a you know crazy year. We've talked about a lot of the protests and everything going on, Black Lives Matter, etc. COVID, you know, th- this pandemic that we're in, unprecedented. Something that none of us have ever been through in our country, really, in our lifetime. It's really changed a lot of things. Uh, it shut down, uh, you know, all the all the sports seasons earlier in the year. Sports are trying to climb their way out of this thing, trying to find a way. Um, I think it was, I want to say, baseball was the first to come to an official agreement, but basketball was the first team sport, I should say, to actually start playing, obviously, UFC. Actually, it was the, N- and it was the NHL who, like, first came. Had remember? an agreement? But they to, haven't to played get, any games get, yet. Yeah, but to get started back, remember? Yeah. They had. They were, the, they were the first start playing games. No, to to come to an agreement. Remember oh, to to that agreement. was okay. We, yeah, we but talked they, about it. Never right, heard. right, right. But they haven't started playing games yet. But obviously, individual sport, UFC, boxing, they kept their 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 stuff rolling. No fans. Uh, Baseball just this week had to shut down opening day. I think it was for the Florida Marlins, the Miami Marlins. So. they're already going through some adversity there. The NBA seems to have it figured out from an NFL standpoint. Do you think it's wise? I mean, obviously like they have to try. I don't think anybody's figured it out. I think they're all joking. I think everybody is 
going off of the assumptions. Everybody thinking. Do you think the, the season's going to go through the whole season? I, I think, think the league. The I think they're going to do a season, but we're going to see. We're going to see a disease that we don't really know much about. We think we know about. Every day we're learning different um, components about this disease and what this disease right. can do or how it can travel. And I think ultimately the NFL. I think a lot of leagues are going to keep going, but once the, this virus starts to attack at a rapid pace, because you know, baseball, you, you, they far away from each other. They're not really close to each other a lot of the times. So but they the already – But my thing is what I'm saying, the NFL has a lot more players and a lot more opportunities to spread the disease than the we contact, really know. Yeah. The contact, and I think right. um, it's, it's going to be – I don't know if it's going to finish the season. I think that we see the preseason cancel. We see a lot of different things. But I'm unsure of how the season is going to go because I think – Along as soon as a star player gets sick, and we don't know which star player is going to be, but if, if role players get injured, role players just like if role players, just like when a role player get injured, nobody really knows. Mm-hmm. We plug could play, mm-hmm. but it isn't until a superstar gets it is when the league yep. is going to really be like a Tom Starting Brady said he has COVID. That's when everybody's everybody win because then we're going to say it's over. Yeah, it's going to be. Over. They're not going to. Nobody's going to feel superhuman anymore. Nobody's yeah. like Kyrie Irving's not playing like. There's not gonna. There's yeah. gonna be somebody that is gonna do that eventually when the season starts. I think. And let's be honest, teams ain't gonna want to go out there without their starting quarterback. I mean, like, not not for no COVID. If it was a legit injury, obviously they don't have a choice. They would have to. But you know, that starting quarterback get COVID and we can't play. Nah, you know, I I don't know how 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 comfortable you know teams are gonna be fond you know be fond of that. If well, you're talking. You're talking to a guy that said Nick Foles is better than Carson Wentz. So, didn't you say that? I mean, he did win the Super Bowl. Mm-hmm. I don't. I mean, so you yes. never know. You some that, that, some teams could get some great. Argument, in my opinion, some guys could. Some guys could get some great. <laughs> some get get some great backups. So they might it's be comfortable. It's a legitimate argument. Out. Exactly. It's a legitimate argument. Uh, I must. I think Carson Wentz and and Nick Foles are both great quarterbacks. Don't get me. Don't get it wrong. But I do think there's something about Nick Foles that he's he, – sometimes in those big games, he just – He's scrappy. Yeah, I mean, even against – when I play for the Eagles and, you know, Alshon Jeffrey doesn't drop that ball, we're, we're back in the NFC Championship, you know. Yeah. And I think he is – He got, a, he got that, an it factor to him. Man, that throw against the Chicago Bears, who was on the goal line with maybe 10 seconds and Golden Tate, he throws that ball and Golden Tate catches that. Like that was a sprint out play. Like that that play doesn't happen very often, and we end up winning. Mm-hmm. I think Nick Foles is a great quarterback. Some people think Carson Wentz has more arm strength, more uh, arm talent, but there's intangibles in the league that I think that some people have, and I think Nick Foles has that. And I think that to me, I felt like the Jaguars were in a good situation before him because it just wasn't the way that the team was and how it was running. That organization has yeah. been dysfunctional ever since they went to the AFC Championship. Yeah. Everybody thought that he was a superstar. Everybody thought that they was the reason why they were winning. Since, yeah. Hence why that team is one of the most talented teams, but seems always to, you know, never meet. It's, and the talent never meets in the win column. And I think, um, you know, when Nick Foles is, we need to have a great leadership to, you know, win. But I think Nick Foles is a great quarterback, I thought. And we'll you see know, what happens with the Bears this year. I, I know we're talking about I know we were talking about COVID, but I, I you know I want to put that on pause and 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 I want to hone into what you're talking about right now because teams, you know, a lot of the people, some people are talking about the Chiefs right now. I, I you know I I like to watch first take a lot of these debate shows, etc. I think it was why I was watching Get Up this morning, and I don't uh, watch this you know I, yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> but I, you know, I do because it's kind of like the space that that I, that I want to get into a little bit post career, um, doing TV and stuff like that. Uh, you know, they've they've had a lot to say since they won. Is it a struggle for teams to deal with winning? I think it you know is a struggle like, for teams to winning. You know, we were there when the second year after the Super Bowl and like the amount of the thing that I can say about us though is 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 we I could say I felt like at least we knew how to deal with winning. Yeah, but we did we knew how to deal with winning, but it took us a long time to kind of get over that to get over that hump in that second season. We I mean we didn't lose too many games, but we had a little mm-hmm. where we made games a lot harder. And I think at this point, I think it's all just hyping. It's just hyping it up and people just want to build this bubble. But I think there's a lot of teams that have firepower and we're looking at I think the Tampa Bay Buccaneers could be a, a real a real game changer when we think about me too. Um, we think about the talent that um, that Tom Brady's getting. I think I would say this is some of his might be some of his t- top talent that he's ever had around him offensively. I agree, one hundred percent. The best. I think there's some mis- there's some components in that defense that I think that's simply okay. I think they have a great a good rush, but I wouldn't say that that they were able to sustain some of the leads that they were in giving up. And that's a hard conference because of the teams that you have to play when you think about the Saints, the mm-hmm. Panthers, and, and, you know, looking at those teams and you're like, oh, okay. But um, I think in Atlanta Falcons, we talk about, um, um, you know, you know what, you know, he's been able to do as far as quarterback, Mighty Ice. But I think you look at the – you look at those guys, I think those guys are going to be good. I always think the Patriots are going to be competitive in the AFC. I think the Jets – I think that's an easy conference. I don't think they're going to have too much trouble with the Jets. Um, I think right. the Bills is a team that people are really sleeping on. I think the sleeping Bills on. I feel you. They've done a great job. I mean, yeah. Josh Allen, he's still getting into his. It's, it's, that's what it's going to come down to. It's going to come they, down they to that quarterback. more weapons around here receiver-wise. There's a great receiving core down there, good running game, yeah. strong running yeah. game. We talk about offensively and defensively what they've got over there. And I think right. the Chiefs are going to have a hard time, you know, getting back to the top because there's a lot of great teams out there. I think the Texans – I wouldn't say the Texans have done a great job of recalibrating their team, but they still have the Deshaun Watson. And yeah. I think we're looking at Brandon, – Brandon Cooks is a good receiver. But I think the Rams are going to be a team that, you know, Todd Gurley not having Todd Gurley and right. for them to have to re- find a way to redo their engine. I mean, I think they're a good team too. Right. But, but we can't sleep Cardinals on the too. Seahawks. You know, I'm. You know, I'm always with. I'm, I'm, I'm always with Cardinals. Seattle. I'm not a fan of the Cardinals. I think defense. I just like. I like Hopkins. I like Hopkins and Fitzgerald. I've always been a fan of Fitzgerald, and I've always been a fan of Hopkins. I, I like the mud. No, I do. I just think that defensively, in that conference, Damn, I'm not sure they have the firepower outside of Charlie yeah. Jones. We don't yeah. know much about who their defense defensive yeah. players are. But I think the Seahawks yeah. slowly are doing things that we all notice. I think once the Seahawks get their rush game together, I think that's going to change a lot. Because right now, do you like do you like the trade for Jamal Adams? There's been a lot of back and forth mm-hmm. about the trade: two first round picks and a third, plus their starting safety for a marquee I like player. I don't. I, I wouldn't say that. I, for one first round pick, I think it's great, but I think they're trying to. I think they got screwed. Over. I think they're trying to do the Seahawks defense. They're looking for another Earl Thomas, a Roman safety. But mm-hmm. if we look at Jamal Adams's tape, we look at him being a. A, a safety who blitz they're blitzing a lot who's down in the box a lot I think the defense of the Seahawks requires you to be more in the back end and I think that's going to be really different from them and maybe they can find a way to use him the way that they did Cam Chancellor but well, Cam yeah, Chancellor exactly, as we know they, was a freak athlete he was the best athlete I ever played with in the NFL 
Yeah. And I think yeah. he do look at the way that um I'm not sure. I think I would spend two first round picks on more rush and getting to the quarterback and keeping Bradley McDougal because I feel like Bradley McDougal is a good safety. I think he gives them he gives yeah. them firepower. I think the rush is where they've been suffering it over the last couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. I'm 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 on the other side. I'm on the other side. I think sometimes I think sometimes first round picks are overvalued. Um, I think a lot of times, I think for the most part, you get your better players in the later rounds anyway. Um, but you say that when they had a guy, Frank Clark, who had 15 sacks and they traded him. That was some that was a mis- that was a mistake. Yeah, but we know. I mean, listen, teams sometimes are cheap. You know, it's but like the problem is they're not cheap. It's like they don't, they didn't value the rush the way that they should value the rush. And now look at the mm-hmm. rush; they suffering. This the number one thing that they right. missed last year was the Panthers being at the level that it was. They were thirtieth. They were thirtieth last year in rush, and their defensive line was ranked thirtieth. Excuse me, last last season. Yeah, so that's like you me and you there. and Bridget going out there. We could be thirtieth right now in the league. We could be thirty. We could be thirty-one, thirty-two. We could add one extra. We could add my daughter and be thirty-two. Best oh man! Because it, that's, that's not funny. too far. <laughs> Number thirty-two right now. Me and you. I feel you. And Bridget, I, I, I feel could be you. Play, <laughs> and we'd be number thirty-two in the league. I'm. I'm just saying, like that's right. not. That's not. That's that's not hard to do to be number thirty. Right. Right. Uh, no, but listen to now. Bridget gonna be on a. She's gonna be cheerleading. You know, she was a cheerleader, right? She cheered at Oregon and and for the for the Chargers. Long time. That's what she. Don't put be me at. in a box. Oh, okay. She coming off the edge. I'm just saying, she don't move the box. Yeah, she coming off the edge then. Shit. Now, you know I'm always a supporter of Seattle. That's that's like a home for me uh, with R-Dub and B-Wags, them, them two of my best friends, and and uh, a lot of other guys on that team I still have cool relationships with and shit like that. And obviously, we won the title there and everything, so there's a connection. But you was a, hard, you was a, you was a hard runner, though. I think people overlook, like, I mean, when there was no really drop off in Marshawn left throughout the game because you brought the same type of intensity as far as um, yeah. running the ball hard, like you were a hard person. To, I mean, I always got in the backfield before you were able to move, but the other guys, <laughs> you know, when you got going, it's hard to you, stop. You was back I there. To, yeah, I, think I was. A, I'm good. a. I'm a rhythm runner too. And what I mean by that is 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 sometimes like I need two or three, you know, just to feel what's going on for. The field was going on. When you when you're going in and out like that, it's kind of hard to catch that. And so, like, it's like, damn, I'm I'm about to get this one carry. Like, I gotta give it everything, you know. But when you know you're gonna get 15, 16, 17, 18, you can kind of you can you can chill. You know what I'm saying? Like, you can really yeah. feel your way into it as a runner, you know. And um, and so I I, I kind of feel like over my career, uh, aside from being with the Colts, was was really when I was running with Frank was the only time I knew I was going to get like, okay, I might get like an eight or nine is not a lot, but it's still, you know, Better still than more zero. than like four or five, you know, that I would, yeah. I would get uh, usually in Seattle, but it, but you know, it's all good. Um, I still believe that I can play at a high level. Frank does. And if I didn't, Frank is, a, I wouldn't play no Frank. more. I don't sleep on Frank. I, Frank taught me the most that I've ever learned in the NFL. Great. Man. He taught me the most. 
Um, but yeah, I still feel like I can play at a high level and that's why I still want to do it. I'm, I'm a, I'm real with myself. I look myself in the mirror. I know how hard that I work. And if I feel like I couldn't do it no more, then I'd be like turbo. Yeah. Your arms are supremely yeah. big. I'm like, man, what, <laughs> where can he get shirts that fit his arms? Like it's like it's medium. I chest, tell him that all the time. Arms. Like, what is that? A child's large. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so you won two titles as he's with flexing. What uh, one with Seattle, obviously one with Philly. I'm well, interested actually, to know. I came to Philly after they won. So I oh, sh- you weren't on that team. No, nah, I, I thought you. Nah, were, I, was, I thought you. I thought you were. That's my nah. fault. So you were there yeah. when y'all went to the championship game there. Well, we could win. Right. We went to the NFC. Well, not the went to the NFC. Uh, what's after the divisional? Divisional. divisional? Yeah, we would have went to the NFC Championship okay. game if we would have caught the ball because the first time we played the Saints, they whooped our ass so bad. I was so mad in that goddamn locker room. I never – because I'm from Louisiana, so all my family, you know, 50 people uh, at the game. Boy, we, the Saints just whooped us so bad. I, I was like, I hope we play the Saints again in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And we went down there, and that game was a tough game. We didn't change it to the last minute. I mean, it was, it was – you know, but it was, it was good. What was uh, – like – you know some of the some of your favorite organizations that you played for then my favorite city to play in my favorite one of the best seasons i had was i feel like it was in philly i just love philadelphia i love the vibe of philly the food um the the just the atmosphere like it was just a fun city to play, play in like it was a hardcore city tough. like favorite team i mean the, Favorite, I mean, Seattle's a great city, too, food. But I don't know. Philly and Seattle were great. Dallas was okay. Um, but Philly and Seattle were my two favorite places to play. I mean, just the crowd noise. I can never match that crowd noise. Of, there's never been that type of, like, when the music come on, it's just like, I don't know, it was euphoric. I can't even explain it, you know. But right. Philly was, was a great city. Like, I felt like I needed to go to Philly. I love it. That's what's up. That's what's up. Um you know, you talked about your career. You said that, like, you know, when we first started the show, like, man, you know, you've you've accomplished a lot. You're happy going into retirement. Like, Check you don't feel boxes. like there's much more you can do. But your career wasn't all, you know, always roses and sunshines, right? You had some some hurdles and things like that to get over, you know, earlier in career. Uh, you know, what kind of advice would you share to a, to a young guy who, who may see some adversity early Stay in hungry. their career the way Stay that you hungry. did? I- I think a lot of times you get a little complacency with a little bit of success. And I felt like for me, I always stayed hungry and I always kept a chip on my shoulder because in the NFL, as you know, Bridget, you watched it, you've seen it. Rob, you've been a part of these, these league and this game and you know that somebody always can take your position and always, I think a lot of times we get comfortable and I never got comfortable. I always was somebody who was willing to learn and always like, I loved it when other veterans came in, like when Dwight Freeney came in. I was just in awe. I'm like, this guy I watched every day. Tell me everything about your game. I used to love when Kevin Williams came in. I got a chance to be with those guys. It was a sense of, like, being able to be a student of the game. And I think that's the thing that you have to have. You have to be real gritty, and you have to be able to continuously grow and be a student. And I think sometimes, you know, you listen, you go on teams, and you hear guys saying, oh, I don't watch film. I don't do this. And I'm just like, to me, film was one of the best parts about watching the game. Watching, like, yeah, seeing real. plays break down, seeing how the things were discovered, why. And I think a lot of times um, people don't want to be students of the game. So I would say, man, be a student of the game and be gritty and be hungry every single day you go out there. I don't expect for people to give you something. And I think a lot of times young guys come in the league and expecting the game to be like high school and college where they're going to babysit you and you're going to be good because you 
and you're not going to be there. So at the sense, you just got to be hungry and understand that this is a business and you got to build your business up and have your best stock every time you go out there. In preparation for post-career, um, obviously, like, that's something that you have to be ready for any year because you never know what that's, what that's going to be like. I have the goal to play three more seasons to make it 11, but that's not guaranteed, and I know and I understand that. But neither was the nine that I've, that I've been a part of the league uh, as well. And so, think, man, how do you prepare for that? You know, for I think it's just like Wabi. I think it's just like Wabi Sabi. You know, Japanese wisdom, like the the the, the impertinence of that nothing is forever. And I think if we know that living, that eventually we're gonna die, actually makes living a lot better. So I actually think if you know in your career that one day your career is gonna be ending, that you prepare for when that moment ends, it makes you understand that there, this isn't your whole life. And I think a lot of times a lot of people aren't ready for the death of something, right? And I think for me, mm-hmm. I was ready for the ready for the death part of that career. And I think sometimes we get lost in that and understanding that there's a, there's limits to what's happening and when it all ends. Yeah. Well, and you've already done so much preparation to get ready before you even retired. You have your podcast, you had your book out. I mean, people know you as doing so much more off the field than, you know, Michael Bennett, the football player. Yeah, that's true too. Yeah, you're right. Thank you, Bridget. That's a great way to finish well, you this piece. You you have to think about that stuff because honestly, like it it gets otherwise it gets depressing. I'm I'm gonna be yeah. honest. Otherwise, you're just like, who who am I anymore? And you're you know yeah. you you don't know who to identify for. It gets dark. I'm not gonna go that far, but it does. Otherwise. That is why, though, I'm curious. I want to know about the TV series. I'm really, really excited to hear about that. Can we talk about that? Your book being adapted into a TV show? Yeah, I kind of work with this, you know, John Wells, the the guy from Shameless. If you watch the show called Shameless. I love Shameless. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, Yeah. so that's the company uh, I I work with as far as, like, producing the show or whatever. So it's just been good. I think we look at the – like adapting a book and turning it into a series and the model. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I learned a lot as a businessman too, like being in those meetings with Apple and being in the meetings with Netflix and all these different companies. I learned a lot about how people project or this, the, how things are being written and all those things. So it's, it's good to know that, you know, something can turn into a TV series or something can be used as a, you know, used as a, a in the sense they call it the Bible of creating uh, content. Right. And I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, being a part of that has just been amazing. Like being in the room and being in there and coming, coming over a script and seeing the writers. It's just been an amazing, amazing um, thing, I think, for me to actually see something that I put work into to actually turn into something else. I think that always makes it, it makes it impressive. It makes it, it makes it, it makes you happy, you know, to be a part of it. But I think, um, you know, shows like this are needed. I think we're going to a, a place of where society has been comfortable with a lot of things that are, happening around yeah. us and being uncomfortable is how we grow. And I think having these conversations and having these shows to see different people existing is going to just make the country have a sense of understanding of what other people experience on their daily life. Totally. No, I, I, I can't agree with you more. I'm, I'm so excited. Is there, is there a timeline or you have any idea? Uh, I can't tell you. I don't know exactly, but we just kind of get into the nitty gritty of it. As soon as I okay. get the whole timeline, I can kind of give you more yeah, about it, we could talk about it because you can't really say too much because it was like absolutely kind of like a mm-hmm. kind of a big deal. No, I'm joking. No, no we have it, some good people. It is. We have some good people. 
we got some good people working on it. Like, yeah. So it should be, it should be interesting. That, that is huge. And then what's next for your podcast? You host it with your wife it's called Mouthpiece. I love the name, but you guys, Peace is spelled P-E-A-C-E. Yeah. What's next? It sounds uh, like to me it means to communicate with one another. Mm. Well, we talk something. about a lot of things. I think we talk about the dysfunctionality of, of, of being a person of color in this country mm-hmm. and also about how we as individuals have these conversations and we to learn to respectfully disagree. Like we don't agree on all things, but at some point there's a sense of um, centeredness that we need to have a conversation around. I think our podcast is around that we have a lot of different people from different you know, walks of life, whether it's movie directors, interior designers, all kinds of people who have different kind of um, outlooks. And I think for us, it's, it was great to be, do something with my wife outside of just the normal thing. Yeah. Having those conversations. So it was a great, I think we continue working on our ideas of how we want to improve it. We had a chance to nitpick because I've done a lot of TV stuff and my wife hasn't done a lot of TV stuff, but mm-hmm. she's done some, some things and she just got so much better over the season that she became a pro mm-hmm. at the end. So now going back into this season, we had a lot of time to reflect on what we want to change and how we want to come at it this year. What do those changes look like? I think it's just, I can't tell you. <laughs> <laughs> man he was about to reveal it no i think it's just like structural how do we want to attack it structural about you know yeah. just about placing in the show what is the guest to ratio to ourselves how many times should we have guests and how mm. time we shouldn't have guests because yeah. and those are the type of things that we want to just kind of work on and figure out getting back that. into the nitty-gritty saying like the show is really about us so making sure that that's the most and biggest highlight is that we don't get too caught up on guests sometimes because yeah. sometimes, you know, everybody's like, oh, you got to get a guest. And then I'm just like, why do you need this? Well, you're that? the constant. I always explain that to people because that took me a long time to learn with podcasts. You are the constant. You're why people are coming back. You are the yeah. brand. You're the only thing that people know. Like, there's a string and you're always there and people are just attaching to it every time. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 100%, man. Well, yeah, yeah, man, shit. Well, I appreciate you coming on to the show, dog. You don't want to take too much more no of your problem, time. Man. I know you got to get to the family. Yeah, you got three of them things over there. <laughs> yep, so, man. Uh, I appreciate you. 100%, bro. Uh, have a Thank blessed you. rest of your day, dog. And, Thank you, Bridget. Uh, shit, we'll be chopping yeah. up soon. Thanks so much. This was so awesome. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.